Hey guys, welcome back. Today's episode is going to be a trip report on the India trip that I did in the end of November. And before I get started, I just want to say thanks to everyone who joined the free Slack channel that I set up. I was pretty surprised by how many people signed up, so that's great. I took down the original link already, but I did just create a new one that will be valid for a couple more days. If you were too late and still want an invite, feel free to send me an email at trudinglife at gmail.com. But like I said before, I don't want the group to get too big. I think a good number is somewhere between three and 500. So we'll see how things go. And at some point, I will probably need to limit new signups to Patreon members only. But of course, everyone who's already in there will not get kicked out. And yeah, already a lot of good discussions in there. And I hope to see that continue. So for December, this month, I'm only going to be publishing two episodes. So I already had the November recap and then I'll be doing this one. I actually got kind of sick uh, after the India trip in addition to the jet lag. So I was running a little bit low for about a week and then I also launched the Slack. So that was a lot of overhead for me as well. And I'm also pretty bandwidth limited by all of the deals that keep coming up. You know, December is a pretty big month for buying groups. And I'm literally knee deep in AirPods right now. AirPods and Chromecasts are what I'm mostly ordering. And then that Capital One shopping portal deal, those are just taking up a lot of my energy. So not quite as much time to spend on podcasting this month. But yeah, I'll be covering all of that stuff in the December recap. So stay tuned for that. And moving on to talk about the India trip. So like I said before, this trip, I went with my parents and also my brother. So there was five of us for the first week and then the three of them went home and my wife and I stayed for a second week and so I think I'll just talk about everything in chronological order so the first thing was the flight to India and so when we originally booked the trip it was just for my wife and I so we had just booked the two of us and then we sort of invited my family to join us later so we had originally only planned for the two of us so we only had the two of us in the premium cabin and so what we had booked was Air Canada from Portland to Vancouver and then Air India from Vancouver to Delhi and we'd booked my wife in business class and me in first class you know I did offer my wife to be in first class if she wanted the price difference was about 27,000 miles and I was like I don't know if it's worth it or not I mean you can do it or I can do it and eventually it was like okay I'll just be in first class and for the next trip that we do where there's one business seat and one first class seat you can have the first class seat so I'm not sure if this was a good deal for her or not because well I'll get into this later but the difference between Air India business and first is a pretty big difference whereas maybe for other carriers like either one is fine so the total cost was 90,000 miles plus 73 Canadian dollars for the business class seat and then 117,000 miles plus 73 dollars for the first class seat 
And then at the time that we invited my parents, there was still one economy class seat left on this routing. So my mom booked that for herself. And then for my dad, I did advise them like, you know, we can wait and see maybe if something better comes up because the cash fare was kind of high for that flight on Air India from Vancouver to Delhi. And plus with the cash ticket, there was not any way to get the Portland to Vancouver leg to be on the same ticket as the Vancouver Vancouver to Delhi leg, but they just wanted to book the ticket so that all four of us would be confirmed to be on the same planes, which I understand. I mean, there's something to be said about having your travel booked well in advance because then you can be always thinking about it and looking forward to it instead of worrying about whether or not you're going to get the right seats. And you just want to avoid the situation where he might have to travel on a different itinerary because maybe one of the planes are sold out. So, I mean, for me, I would rather just wait and see if anything comes up and always be searching because I kind of enjoy that. And I always like to look for the best deals, but I understand why they wanted to do it this way. So that was my parents, and then it was a few months after that when my brother decided that he wanted to join us as well. He had just graduated from college, so he didn't want to make any plans too far in advance. And so it was around that time when he decided that he wanted to go that I saw that pretty huge sale for award tickets to India on United Airlines where they have uh, just a massive amount of availability in United Polaris for 80,000 miles one way. So when I saw that, I booked my brother's trip there and back, and then I also booked my parents for their way back on United in Business Class. Previously, I had them booked in Japan Airlines Business Class because I saw a pretty good sale on cash fares for one way from India to San Francisco. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,400 per person one way, which is not bad, but I was able to cancel that ticket for I think $200 per person, and then I booked them both on the United flight. So in the end, they saved a little bit of money because United points are valued at about 1.25 cents per point, or maybe 1.3 cents per point. So pretty good deal for them. And then I had my wife and I booked in Q Suites on the way back. So that's a flight that we had booked about a year in advance when the flights first came out. And the routing for that, I booked us from Goa to Doha to San Francisco. And then we booked a cash ticket from San Francisco to Portland. So it's kind of interesting that they had that direct flight from Goa. And it worked out well for us because Goa ended up being a pretty good place to visit. Okay, so about the Air India flights. I know this is always a controversial airline and everyone has heard of stories of people getting screwed over from them. People say that their planes are outdated and that they're just the worst airline there is. And I think I'll start by saying that most of the stuff that is negative towards Air India is coming from people who have never flown with them. And they're just repeating things that other people have said. I've noticed a lot of similar sentiments on the Avianca Life Mails program where there's just a lot of hate towards it and people just say, don't ever use them and similar to Air India it really depends on how you're going to use them and I'll get into this later but yeah I would say that just a blanket don't use them is not really fair 
I've also seen a lot of bad reviews on YouTube about the Air India first class on the 777, but most of those videos are just on like a one or two hour flight from Delhi to Mumbai or something. So it's not the full experience and really defeats the whole purpose of flying in business or first class. And that is to be doing it on a long haul flight where you can get a bed and sleep. I am not a professional travel blogger, like this is my vacation. So my priorities are going to be a lot different than someone who is reviewing this for money. Like I'm not gonna fly all the way to Singapore just so I can fly on the new first class product with them. You know, I'm not gonna fly all the way to Dubai just so I can fly on Emirates' new first class product. All to write some catchy article on my blog to try to generate a bunch of traffic and get people to click on my affiliate links. Like, I am trying to get to India. Like, that was my travel destination for my vacation. And so the first priority is, of course, finding a flight that is bookable for my travel dates. And I would say that for this, Air India is pretty good. They always release one first class seat and two business class seats on every route and they release them at the schedule opening. But for them, the schedule opening is not like a rolling 331 days or 355 days. They do it in batches or like according to the season. So whenever they decide that it's time, they'll just like release the entire winter schedule, something like that. So if you want a seat with them, then you need to kind of monitor and see when their flight schedules are released. And in my case, I saw that it was kind of getting close to that time. So I just checked like once a day if they had scheduled that flight yet, or maybe once every other day, something like that. And when they finally did, I was able to pretty easily find flights that worked for my dates and with pretty good routing. So I would say this is the fastest possible way to get to Delhi from Portland is going through Vancouver. The total travel time was just under 20 hours and Air India is one of those airlines that's allowed to fly through Russian airspace. So that's definitely a plus for someone going to India. And Russia is probably the main reason that United no longer has their San Francisco to Delhi route. I don't have the full history on that route, but I do know it was a thing a few years ago and now it's not. So if you want a direct flight from the West Coast to India, Air India is your only option. So yeah, number one for me is the availability and the routing. And then number two for me is the comfort. So I would say that most business class products check this box for me but there are some that are better than others and Air India's first class is actually pretty good. I mean, you get a lot of space. There are only four seats in their first class cabin in a one-to-one configuration and there is no footwell or anything like that. Your, fit, your feet can be free and you can spread out pretty well, like the seats are, are very wide. And so I thought their first class bed was very comfortable. 
And for most of these flights, there will be only one occupied seat in first class, and that's the seat that was released to be booked with miles because no one would ever pay five or six thousand dollars or whatever for this seat. So if you're in this cabin and you booked with miles, you'll have the entire cabin to yourself. And so if you want to like eat in one seat and have your bed in the other seat, that's definitely doable. Or you can store stuff in the other seat if you need extra storage. So yeah, I thought the first class seat itself, the hard product or whatever, that was very good. And it's definitely not the worst first class seat. I mean, there's definitely worse ones out there. I mean, I've never flown on American or British Airways, but based on the pictures, the seat definitely looks smaller. So that was the first class seat. And then the business class seat, which is the one that my wife was in, she said that it was actually not bad. It is an angled flat seat, but she said it, it feels like 175 degrees. So it's just a little bit of incline and not really noticeable if you're trying to sleep. I think this seat is roughly equivalent to the Emirates 777 product. It is a little bit awkward to be sitting next to a stranger in business class and not have the direct aisle access. But as far as the overall seat and the comfort, according to my wife, it was not that bad. And she was able to sleep for a decent amount. And then moving on to the economy class. So my parents were in economy class and got to try that out. They were able to buy a bulkhead seat for $100 per person, which is really not that bad. And so they're able to get, well, unlimited legroom basically because there were no seats or anything in front of them. Since my dad had booked a cash ticket and that cash ticket was like $1,200, he was offered some upgrades to business and first class. And I think the upgrade to first class was only like $1,200 or something around that ballpark, which is a pretty good deal. A lot of people use the benchmark of $100 an hour and this flight was 15 hours. But they just went for the bulkhead seat, which was pretty good value. And yeah, they didn't really have any complaints in economy class. They did say that the lavatory was an issue, but the service was pretty good. And that brings me to the third most important thing for me, I think, which is the service. I usually don't care too much about the service. It's a lot lower down on my priorities. Like, I'm not judging the airline based on how many hot towels they bring me, but I think it is somewhat important. And for Air India, it was pretty good, I would say. In first class, I thought that the flight attendant might have been a little bit awkward. I think they're not really used to speaking English that much. The airplane was about 95% Indian, and I'm pretty sure that most of those people spoke Hindi. Because you also have to keep in mind that this was a flight from Canada and at the time Canadians were not allowed to go to India unless you were a special person and had a visa or something like that. They weren't allowing just the regular e-visa that most American tourists get. 
And there's no way to book a code share with Air Canada going on to Air India. So there's really no way to book this ticket originating in the U.S. Unless you're booking separate tickets like we did, which is a pretty advanced concept for most travelers and is not really recommended. But more on that later. And I'm also not sure if my flight attendant had serviced the first class cabin before. I don't know. They just felt a little bit confused at times. Like they had given me the wrong food menu at first. The menu they gave me, I think, was for flights that were originating in India. So when I looked at the menu and tried to order the food, they were a bit confused because they didn't have a lot of the stuff. But I thought they were very kind and they were definitely trying very hard. And a few other notes about the soft product is that the food in first class is the same as in business class, at least for the flights that don't originate in India. And then the other thing is that the in-flight entertainment doesn't work. And this is something that we knew beforehand based on the research that Ed done. So it was fine. I mean, we just came prepared with enough movies downloaded on our iPads. And then another thing while we're on the topic of service, the flight crew was pretty good. Maybe they were just a little bit disorganized, but that was nothing compared to the ground crew and boarding was just complete chaos. So first of all, they wanted to search everyone's carry-on and do a pat-down for every single person boarding the plane. And so later I learned that this is pretty common in India, but of course, I mean, we're not even in India yet. We're still at the gate in Vancouver. Like, why do we need to already be doing this? And so because, of course, this takes a lot of time, while they were sitting at the gate, well before boarding had started, they searched about a fourth of the people that were going to be on the flight and put them into this secure zone of people that had already been searched. And then when they started boarding, they just let all those people on first. And then when they were done with that, there was a huge line of people that were waiting to get on and all those people had to get searched. And it was quite a frenzy. So once they let all those first people on, they just sort of opened the floodgates and they had a sign for a separate queue for business in first class. And so there are a bunch of people just standing around over there. And eventually one of the gate agents went over there and let the business in first class people through. But we were still boarding at the same time as this huge wave of economy class passengers. And everyone had to get their bag searched and get a pat down. So it was kind of weird, like the gate agents were trying to get the business class people through and trying to sort of give them priority. But it was just a lot of chaos. And I mean, for me... I don't really care if I'm the first person on the plane or when I get on the plane. I think the whole point of priority boarding is so you don't have to be lining up with a bunch of other people and just to make the boarding process easier. So I like how Emirates does it where the business and first class passengers just board directly from the lounge and for them they board after the economy class passengers so people get extra time in the lounge. So yeah, the Air India boarding experience was pretty bad. And something that is kind of common in India is that there aren't very good queues. Like in order to get where you need to go, sometimes you just have to crowd and sort of push your way through. 
And that's kind of how I felt when boarding this flight, even though I was standing in Canada. And another thing is that we didn't experience this on this flight, fortunately, but I would say when booking an Air India flight, you want to be really careful with your connection times and your connecting flights, especially on a ticket booked with miles. And just remember that when you're booked all in one ticket and on the day of travel, there's a delay that causes you to miss a connection. It is the carrier that caused the delay that is responsible for rebooking you to get you to your final destination. So in our case, we were flying Portland to Vancouver and then Vancouver to Delhi all on the same ticket. So if the Portland to Vancouver flight was delayed and caused us to misconnect on the Air India flight, then Air Canada would be responsible for getting us to Delhi. So they would either rebook us on the next Air India flight or maybe there would be an Air Canada route that would get us there. But in any case, it would be Air Canada's responsibility. So in our case, that would be good because you don't want it to be Air India's responsibility. And especially on an award ticket that was booked by a partner, if you were booked on something like Bombay to Delhi and then Delhi to San Francisco, you might be in some trouble if your Mumbai to Delhi flight gets delayed and causes you to mix that next flight. I've heard some pretty bad stories of the ground staff just giving you a very hard time and saying, no, you have to contact the partner that booked the ticket and it's not our fault, even though we caused the delay, which is just ridiculous. And so in this particular story, I don't know if the agents were just waiting for a bribe or something. Eventually they did give them a new ticket, but they said it was like a one-time courtesy which is very frightening. I mean, if it's a one-time courtesy when they were the ones that messed up and caused you to not get you where you needed to go, and it's a one-time courtesy that they fix it for you, that's pretty bad. So, of course, if you're flying, like, San Francisco to Delhi and then connecting to Mumbai, that Delhi to Mumbai flight is only, like, 60 or $70, so it's no big deal if you just pay that out of your pocket for whatever the next flight is. Like, I would rather do that than have to argue with these people. But if it's like a multi-thousand dollar business class ticket, you just don't really want to get into that situation. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking about what kind of routing to do. And in our case, we were taking a bit of a risk because, like I said, my dad was traveling on separate tickets from Air Canada and Air India. So if the Air Canada flight was delayed and causes us to miss the Air India flight, then he would just be out that ticket. I'm pretty sure Air India would not give him anything in that case. Whereas a lot of the American airlines have unwritten rules for stuff like that, where they'll usually give you another ticket as a courtesy. But the Air Canada flight's at like 6am, it's the first flight of the day, and... I'm pretty sure it's on time a very high percentage of the time because we did have a small delay of maybe 10 minutes because there was this one family that was having trouble with check-in and the check-in agents for Air Canada were very slow, by the way. So they were just a little bit delayed because of the document check and they held the plane for them and our flight attendant was very irritated about that and she even told them 
like, hurry up, you're late. Which, I mean, flying is already stressful enough. You don't really need to have a flight attendant yelling at you. So I do feel kind of bad for them. So yeah, my overall take on Air India was that it was a positive experience. It was a pretty good flight when you think about my priorities and what things that I care about. And you do just need to be prepared and know what you're getting into. Like for example, there's no IFE and be careful with your connections. I mean, the cabin does feel very old and outdated. But, I mean, those planes were released in 2011, so only like 10 years old and they're already starting to look like that. So it just kind of goes to show with how quickly the airlines are upgrading their aircraft in order to stay competitive. I'm kind of curious to see what business class looks like 10 years from now. Okay, so that was the Air India flight, and now I'm going to move on to talk about the actual trip. And so what we did was the first week we had hired a driver through a travel agency that was recommended by a friend, and the driver took us from Delhi to Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is. And then we drove to Rajasthan with some stops along the way, like we went to Bharatpur and Ranthambore, which is where the tiger safaris are. And then my parents ended their trip in Jaipur when they flew back to Delhi and then back to the U.S. And then my wife and I just kind of continued our trip. We went down to Udaipur, which is also in Rajasthan. And then we flew to Goa for a few days there before traveling back on Qatar Airways. And so the first week of the trip was with my parents and that was very well planned out. Like we had an itinerary for pretty much everything we're going to do every single day because we were trying to see a lot of things in a short period of time. So we had our driver with us most of the time and then we had a guide in addition to that on a couple of the days when we were trying to see like the Taj Mahal and we also had the guide in Jaipur. This kind of travel style is not usually our thing, but I would say that in India, especially in North India, you definitely do need to have a driver. I mean, renting a car is out of the question and the Ubers and taxis can be a bit hit or miss. So I was pretty happy with our decision to go with the driver and it wasn't even that expensive. I can't remember the exact amount, but it was less than $100 per day. And that's including the driver and the car and the gas and everything. For a vehicle that could fit the five of us plus the driver and the guide. So it's just what most people do and some people even drive all the way from Jaipur to Delhi and that's like a six hour drive when there is a direct flight that runs several times per day. So yeah, the first week we went to the Taj Mahal and then we went to the Bharatpur Bird Sanctuary and Ranthambore where we got a pretty good taste of nature. And then we went to Jaipur in Rajasthan and I would say that Rajasthan is pretty incredible as far as all of the palaces and stuff. I would say it really has the best colonial architecture out of anywhere that I've been and just the sheer number of palaces. They're really just everywhere. And we went to eat dinner at what is probably the most expensive hotel in India. It was more than $1,000 per night. And that was the Rambag Palace. And they were like, oh yeah, this is where the king lived in the 1940s for like 20 years. 
So it's pretty crazy that that kind of place was open to the public and converted to a hotel, and it was just really beautiful, just kept in really good shape. And again, it's just wild that a $1,000 per night hotel is where literally the Maharajan lived, whereas in Maui, $1,000 is just like an average hotel. Going back to my previous trip report, so yeah, the first week went pretty smoothly with our driver. The one thing that I would say is that when you have a driver, they're going to drive you to all of these souvenir shops where they're earning a commission. And the first time that he did that, I was pretty annoyed. But then I realized that my parents actually did like to shop, so I guess it ended out fine. I guess part of it is you don't want to be rude to the driver, but I don't know. I mean, we did have a schedule of all the things that we wanted to see, and that's sort of what we're paying for. Anyway, so the last night with my parents was in Jaipur, and we actually stayed at the Hilton Jaipur, and that was a really good deal. It was only 20,000 points per night when the cash prices were somewhere around 200-something, and we got upgraded to the club floor, even though I was only gold status. So we were able to go to the club lounge, which was open from... 6 to 8 p.m. I still am not really sure if I understand hotel lounges. It was just like they had some appetizers, some beer and wine, and you could also ask them to make a cocktail, but I don't think they really had the supplies for that many cocktails. It was just like whiskey or vodka, stuff like that. But the hotel was very nice, like the breakfast was very good, it was really big and they had a lot of options. And it was kind of nice to be in a chain hotel that was a bit more upscale than a lot of the other accommodations we were staying at, which were a bit more rustic. And the Hilton Jaipur is not in a very good location for sightseeing. It's more in the downtown area, and then all of the attractions are more on the outskirts. So we had to drive through a lot of traffic to get anywhere. And so my wife and I were staying at the Hilton for two nights, and my parents had left after the first night, so we were on our own at that point. And our driver was also gone, by the way, so we were trying to figure out what to do on that second day. And so we tried to use the Uber rental service, which is like, basically you rent a car with a driver for a given time period. And so we tried to rent one for six hours. But what happened was, as soon as we requested the ride and a driver accepted, the driver called me and I couldn't really understand what he was saying. He was saying something about getting a Jeep. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And why don't you just come here and we can talk about whatever it is you're saying. And so we got in his car and he was trying to negotiate like, yeah, I'll get you a Jeep for 3,000 rupees, which is about $36. When originally our ride was going to be 1,400 rupees. So that is like $17, which is, I mean, a very low price for five hours for a driver in a car. So looking back, it was too good to be true, I think. And I also don't know if the 3000 was meant to be on top of the 1400 that we had already paid. 
I don't know. I just wasn't really understanding the Jeep thing. And I think he kind of kept pretending to not understand us saying no. I mean, we kept saying, no, no, let's just do what I said we wanted to do in the Uber app. Like, just look at the Uber app. That's what we want to do. We don't want to pay another 3,000 rupees. And he just basically kept pretending to not understand us until eventually we were like, okay, this isn't going to work. Just take us back to the hotel and we're done. So we weren't charged for the trip, of course, and I tried to leave him some bad feedback in the Uber app, but the app just didn't work for that. I don't know, there was some bug that wouldn't let me submit any feedback. And so what we ended up doing was just hiring a driver through the hotel. And for that, it ended up being 2,200 rupees. So a bit more than the 1,400 that Uber was charging us. But I think that the Uber price was just too low and no one was actually going to do it for that price. So that worked out fine. And then after Jaipur, we flew to Udaipur and we arrived in Udaipur around 5 or 6 p.m. So it was already kind of dark and I decided to give Uber another try. Of course, I maybe could have gotten a taxi, but when I got there, I wasn't really sure where the taxis were. There was a lot of people that were telling me they were a taxi, but I'm not just gonna get in some random guy's car. I don't know, I guess it probably could have been fine, but I wanted to do Uber just because I thought it was a little bit safer. And again, the price that Uber was quoting me was extremely cheap. It was like 900 rupees or 800 rupees, which is like 10 or $11 for a trip that ended up taking almost an hour and probably costed him about four dollars in gas so i'm not sure what he's actually making after the uber fee and the cost to maintain his car and the gas it's probably very little and so it took me about five tries to get an uber driver that would come pick us up the first four were trying to call me and renegotiate the rate I think a couple of them heard me speaking English and just gave up. Oh, and one other thing, for this one hour trip, the maximum tip amount was 100 rupees, which is a little more than $1. The Uber app wouldn't let me pay a tip that was more than that. I don't know why there is a cap on tips, but just keep that in mind if you wanted to tip your Uber driver a little bit more, you can always just pay him in cash, of course. So moving on to Udaipur, and Udaipur is actually a really cool city. We stayed in the old city and there's a lot of rooftops. And our hotel was this modest palace type building built out of stone. And I would say that for Udaipur, you don't need to have a driver except for someone to bring you from the airport to the hotel. Once you get to the old city, all of the attractions like the city palace, and the museum are all walking distance around the old city. I will say though, even though everything is walking distance does not necessarily mean that it's walkable. It was very rugged, let's just say. I mean, there's a lot of stray dogs and cows, so the streets are not clean. And there's a lot of scooters that are buzzing through the alleyways. And by the way, people honk a lot in India, more so than any other country that I've been to. And I mean, I've been to Vietnam, 
Egypt, like the Philippines, and India is by far the worst. There's people that literally just hold down their horn for the entire duration of their trip. Like they might as well just rewire their scooter so whenever they turn it on to drive, it also turns on the horn. So anyway, in the old city in Udaipur, just going on a walk that's like 300 meters or five minutes is quite a challenge. You have to be constantly looking forward and looking behind so that you don't get hit by any scooters. You have to look down to make sure that you don't step in anything. And you also gotta keep an eye on all the wild animals. Most of the dogs did look pretty harmless, but you still do want to be careful, you know, because of rabies and stuff. I have already been bitten by a stray dog once when I've been traveling, so been there, done that. I would definitely not recommend it. That being said though, we did really like Udaipur. Like, the whole old city on the lake is really nice, but it just isn't for everyone. If you're traveling with children or elderly people, I definitely would not recommend staying in the old city. You probably want to stay somewhere else and then have a driver that can drive you into the main attractions and drive you out and probably be with a guide to help manage things. So the next stop on our journey was Goa and at this point we were just like we're gonna arrange all of our transportation with the hotels. So we asked our hotel in Udaipur to help us get a taxi to the airport and then we also asked our hotel in Goa to arrange the transfer there and back. It did cost a little bit more maybe but it was worth it for us especially after the experiences that we had and so the hotel that we were staying at in Goa was the Alila Diwa which is a Hyatt brand and the Alila Diwa has two different sections it's really like two different hotels they have the regular hotel and then they have the club hotel and they're treated as separate properties so you cannot upgrade from the regular one to the club version and we were staying for four nights, but neither of the properties had a four-night stay that was bookable with points. So we booked the first two nights at the regular property and then the second two nights at the club. And the rates during that time were 9,000 Hyatt points per night for the regular one and then 15,000 points per night for the club when cash prices were around $300 and $500 respectively. So it was about three cents per point, which is very good. And the hotel was really nice. It was basically a resort and it felt like you were in the middle of the jungle. The climate in Goa is way different than it is in North India. It feels a lot more humid and hot, kind of like a Southeast Asian type vibe, whereas North India is more cool. This property is located in South Goa, which is a lot more calm and relaxed. And I was really surprised by how few people there were. For the rest of our trip, we're always in crowds and just so many people. But here the beaches were really big and really clean and there's just no one there. I think a lot of people stay in North Goa where there's a bit more of a party vibe, but South Goa is just really chill. 
The only thing though is that we went during the wedding season. So how I understand it is that with the Hindu religion, you're only allowed to have weddings on certain days. And there's a four month period between August and November where you cannot have a wedding. And our trip was just right after that period. So a lot of people were scheduling their weddings during that time, like in late November and early December. And there were actually 13 weddings planned for the month of December at the Alila Diwa. So just keep that in mind and you can probably message the hotel and ask what their schedule is looking like if you don't want to be there during the weddings. It was only really a problem for us because we got food poisoning on one of the days. So we just spent the entire day in the hotel room. And during that time, there was a lot of partying going on and really loud music, which was annoying for us because we were just trying to sleep. The hotel was very accommodating for us. They were able to move us into the club room a day early. So we actually only spent one night in the regular room and then three nights in the club room. And I kind of wanted to experiment to see if the club was worth it over the regular room. It's kind of hard for me to do this comparison because when we checked into the regular room, I was upgraded to a junior suite as an explorist. And I just got the explorer's status just by matching from Wyndham to Caesars to MGM to Hyatt. So it was really nice to be upgraded into that room. I still do think that the regular club room is better than the suite in the regular property, but we never got to see what the base room in the regular property looks like, so I'm not sure if it's worth an extra 6,000 Hyatt points to be in the club. I'm leaning towards yes. The nice thing about the club is that they have a better breakfast option where it's more of the a la carte style where you can order just better food. Of course, some people might still prefer the buffet, which was also very good and probably had more options. And then the other thing is that if you're in the club room, you get a free airport transfer, which is like a $30 value. So if you're a globalist and you know you're probably going to get upgraded anyway, you could probably just book the base room and be in the suite on the regular property. But otherwise, I think it probably is worth paying that extra 6,000 high points per night. And yeah, other than the weddings, we really like this property. I thought that the staff were really nice. Every guest gets assigned to a concierge and they gave us their WhatsApp number. And our person was really helpful and we spent about 30 minutes just talking to them about all the different activities that we could do in Goa and the logistics and everything. And basically we were able to hire a taxi on an hourly rate, similar to how we did in Jaipur, but this guy was a lot more professional. Didn't bother us with any kind of tourist shops or anything. I will say though, and this is kind of a common trend in India, is that the service is very good when everything goes according to plan. But things get a bit more difficult when you start to run into special requests or when you're not doing things in the way that everyone else is doing. 
Like, for example, we had two different reservations, one at the regular room and another one at the club room, and they weren't really able to seamlessly link those together. And it was further complicated by the fact that we had moved to the club room a day early. So on the day that we were supposed to move rooms, someone gave me a call and asked me if we needed help moving our luggages and stuff when we were already in the new room. There was also a little bit of awkwardness with the room cleaning. They wanted to clean our room like two or three times per day. And we don't really need to have our room cleaned that often. I guess we don't really care either way. I just don't want someone to be cleaning my room when I want to be in it, basically. It's always kind of awkward when you're coming back from breakfast and there's someone in your room. And we're like, it's okay, don't worry about it, you don't need to clean it. But when we walked in, the bed was completely stripped, so he had to make the bed at least before, before he could leave. Another thing was when we were scheduling our taxi back to the airport when we were leaving. We told them twice when we wanted our taxi to pick us up. Once at check-in and then another time the day before we left. And both times we explained that our flight was at 4 a.m. So we wanted our taxi at 2 a.m. And even though we had told them twice already, someone still called me the night before around 9 p.m. asking me, Hello, sir, when would you like the taxi to pick you up tomorrow? And I was like, what? Like, I already told you twice. And even though I did that, when we woke up at 2 a.m. and we walked to the club reception with our bags, there was just no one there. And there was a sign saying that there's no staff at the club reception between 12 a.m. and 6 a.m. And you have to go to the main reception if you need anything. And this was no big deal for us. I mean, we just walked with our bags over to the main hotel reception. But I feel like there would be a lot of people who would not be happy with lugging all of their luggages over to the main hotel, especially at 2 a.m. And it's a little bit disconcerting when, you know, you schedule something at a certain time and then there's just no one there. I thought the least they could have done was send someone over from the main hotel to wait for us and sort of say good morning and yes, your car is here, stuff like that. Because they probably had at least five or six staff who were working at the main reception. I suppose if you needed help, you could have just walked back to your room and used the phone to call for help. But I don't know, it's like when you're paying four or five hundred dollars per night, you kind of expect to have a bit better of service. I guess for us it's just 15,000 Hyatt points. And I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. I mean, most of these things are not an issue for us. I'm just kind of want to say, like, for people who do care about those things, it's just good to know before you go. So yeah, we took the taxi back to the Goa airport. And we did have some struggles in the Goa airport with the airport security. In India, like a lot of the countries over there, they have a separate queue for men and women. And for whatever reason, the woman's line was very slow. And I would say 90% of the bags were being sent into the bag searching area where the woman that was searching the bags was pretty much just opening the bag and emptying out all the contents to see what was in it. 
and just working very slow. And so there ended up being about a 30 minute queue to get your bag searched. Fortunately, we had plenty of time to make our flight, but I can see how that could have caused a lot of stress for some people. It was kind of crazy, like everyone was just yelling at this woman, but I don't even know if she spoke English. She just was completely unresponsive and just didn't say a word, which was pretty good, actually. I mean, that's probably the best way to keep the situation de-escalated, is just to ignore. But it would be nice if people didn't have to wait for 30 minutes. So anyway, on to our flight with Qatar. The flight from Goa to Doha is in an A320. So it's the narrowbody aircraft. And unfortunately, it's not one of the ones with the lie flat seats, which was fine because our next flight from Doha to San Francisco was in Q suites. And we were able to get the two seats sitting next to each other that formed the double bed because I had booked these flights so far in advance. And having the divide lowered all the way to form the double bed does make a pretty big difference. You get an extra eight inches or so of space that's shared between you and your partner, but it does give you more room to spread out. So yeah, this was our fourth time in Q Suites and we just love it. I would say though that the flight attendants can be a bit hit or miss. My wife's flight attendant was very good, but mine was a bit okay. You know, with Q Suites, they have the Dynon demand feature which means you can just order your meal whenever you want and so I tried to tell my flight attendant that I just wanted to sleep for like three or four hours and then I'll have my meal later I'll just request it when I want it but I guess he just didn't really understand that and the right after takeoff he came and woke me up with a bottle of wine and I was like no I just want to sleep like please can I just sleep and I'll have it later and it's kind of like with India, like, you know, they're really good when you follow the plan that everyone else is doing. But when you have this kind of special request, they may or may not understand what you want and they may or may not remember that and communicate that to the other staff. And I mean, Qatar is theoretically dine on demand, but what they want is for you to have, you know, your main meal right after takeoff so that everyone is doing the meal service at once, and then once they finish the meal service, everyone can go take a nap, including the crew. So yeah, I would say that I probably need to learn to go with the flow better in certain situations like these, just to make things easier for everyone. So yeah, that was pretty much the entire India trip. I hope you found my travel story interesting. You can always reach out to me by email or on Slack for any questions or comments about the show. And thanks for listening. <laughs>